Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number 18. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about the movie Tramps, um, which is available now on Netflix. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet and you want to make sure you don't have any issues with what we're going to be discussing today, you can go ahead and check that out. Um, I'm John Burke, and with me this week is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And how's it going, Corey? Pretty well. Pretty you. well. My semester's almost over, so hallelujah. Ah. And how many more semesters are left? A million. Oh, One scary. million. I'm that, just kidding. That is a big number. It is. So I try not to think about the whole picture, just do a little bit at a time, and then I'll just get there eventually. Well, that uh, that is a good approach for school, um, one step at a time, you know, not not allowing yourself to get too overwhelmed with the prospect of how much is left. Um, mm-hmm. I remember those days before I finished my master's, you know, it was uh-huh. quite the uh, the journey. But um, I know that because of that, you haven't really been able to watch too many movies. So is there anything else you've watched this week aside from Tramps? I'm trying to think. No, I don't think so. It, no movies, no TV either? Like, I mean, not rerun shows, but like anything new that you've been trying to keep up with or watching? No, I only have Netflix because you know oh. how I binge watch. Well, I've heard um, a few things. One, there's a new show on Netflix that I'm planning on checking out called Dear White People. Um, well, that's not a very good reaction. Um, it's supposed to be <laughs> one of the best shows on, on Netflix right now from what I'm hearing. And Barry Jenkins, who directed uh, Moonlight, directs episode number five, which from what I've heard from a few different reviews is supposed to be a pretty great episode. Um, I'm also hearing a lot of good things about the Hulu original series, The Handmaiden's Tale. Um, I, hold on. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that that's a series. I thought it was going to be a film. No, no, uh, it's a series, and it is, um, I believe that Hulu's uh, release schedule is very different than Netflix. I think they're doing three at once, but, like, on the first, I'm sorry, they I think they released the first three episodes, and they're doing one a week or something like that. Um, and I feel like I need to go back and mention why I said, about Dear White People. Probably Did you idea. see the trailer for the movie? Oh, uh, I did not. Um, however, it is the same story from the movie, but my understanding is the first three episodes kind of cover the film, and then the okay. other seven, I think it's ten episodes, um, are new content continuing the story or something like that. Okay. That's the my, movie. The movie did not look good. It didn't appeal to me, and not yeah. just because I'm white. <laughs> like, I feel like, it does, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just felt like some of the ways that they approach some of the things in the trailer, I'm like... I feel like sometimes people try to be offensive or try to be kind of, you know what I mean? Like in the movies? Or I feel like overall, just as it just humans in general, it's like trying to make a point and being kind of, I don't, I don't want to say insensitive because I don't, I'm not really that sensitive, but I feel like sometimes people try to really overdo it to make a point, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's. People like to be in your face about certain things. Um, it, I d- it definitely depends on the intent. Um, from what I'm hearing from reviews, though, I think the approach is um, more in the positive light, like calling attention to things that are neg- I mean, because you could say that about Get Out, too. Like, um, there were several, I've heard several people who are also white um, say that they were uncomfortable watching the movie where I never felt like I was the people in the movie. Um, yeah. And so it never bothered me. Like, it bothered me that they were like that, but I was never thinking, oh, that's me up there. Like, yes. This is about me. This yeah. is, yeah. And so I, I kind of, um, I'm assuming that Dear White People will have a similar satirical tone. Um, I don't know for a fact, just from what I've I've gleamed and listened to and read, um, and I, I could be completely wrong. I do, I do get the vibe that it is dealing with racism given the name of the show, um, but... And sweet baby Jesus, we all know that it exists 2017 oh, yeah. you know what i mean i'm totally not saying that no eh. oh no no I, and again i haven't seen the trailer to the movie so i don't even i have no context to what you're reacting to um so no i don't mean to say that at all but um I do feel like it is gonna it is supposed to be that kind of satirical mm-hmm. well yeah and again it i it kind of came out of nowhere i didn't know it came out of nowhere for me i'm not great at keeping up with all the netflix production stuff but um there is that there's the hulu show the handmaiden's tale and then uh started on stars is uh, american gods which um is a Neil Gaiman, I, I don't know if it's a graphic novel, I'm assuming it is, oh. um, and uh, I'm hoping it's the guy who did Sandman, I'm hoping that's the right name. Um, it is. Um, but it's, the. I've only heard one set of reviews uh, from Slash Film, and they were very uh, mixed. Uh, one, one guy was a big fan, the other two kind of hated it, um, but uh, it's the same showrunner that did Pushing Daisies and the other <gasps> show you like a lot. What's the one that was the same people before Pushing Daisies? Um, Wonderful. 
Yes. Uh, same showrunner, I think, for all of that. So, um, the and the guy who is a fan is named Devendra um, on Slash Film was a uh, fan of those series as well. So I think American Gods might be up your alley. You might want to check into that. Um, I will. But uh, it's a stars show, so you do have to have access to stars. But you know, there's ways to get that through like Amazon and whatnot now. So. Um, all right, so I, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 uh, last night, um, which uh, we're recording this on Friday, so I saw it Thursday night. Um, I won't spoil anything. Uh, my review is up on BurkeReviews.com. Um, also spoiler-free, although I do I do outline kind of the opening sequence of the film, which I don't consider a spoiler because it's at the beginning. However, if you want to go in completely blind, um, I will say I, I'm putting my foot back down on trailers. Um, because one, before Guardians of the Galaxy last night, I saw the newest and probably fifth cut of the Transformers last night trailer where they show so much stuff that I don't even feel like I would have to pay for the movie if I wanted to see it. I'm pretty sure I get it. Um, the new Wonder Woman trailer, where they showed a bunch more content, so much so that it was not only did they show more than they've shown before, but it was pretty much linear, so it was like beginning to the middle of the film. I hope it's the middle of the film. It could be the end. And um, There was a new trailer for something else that has now gone out of my brain. But then um, when I watched Guardians, I was upset to find that some of the stuff in the trailer is from the third act. I won't tell you what, but some of the stuff from the that we've seen in the trailer doesn't happen until near the end of the movie. And I don't get why they keep doing that. And I, even from just the trailer, I don't know why they put Kurt Russell in the trailer. You don't have to, like, say anything mm-hmm. in regards to where that fits into the movie. But I thought even that was too much. Which... I won't say, but I had heard where he fits into the movie before seeing the movie, and I thought that was too much. Um, but the trailer didn't help anything, because again, I agree, I, I would have preferred uh, not having those big character, those, I mean, granted, if you happen to look at IMDb, you'll see who's cast, and there's casting news and stuff before that, so like, I'd heard Kurt Russell was in the movie long before the trailer, but I still didn't know what he was doing, and while you don't necessarily get, I'm actually thinking that maybe they did say something in one of the trailers um, about what his role is. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, okay. So I still won't say it in case people are avoiding trailers, but yeah, I I just feel like studios need to have a little more faith in their properties, especially sequels. Like the first Guardians movie, nobody knew what they were getting into. Okay, you need to show probably more than you would otherwise, but now people are coming because of the name Guardians of the Galaxy. People want to see this movie. And I liked that Guardians was one of the movies that we saw it not long after it came out, but... That was one of the few movies that we heard. We I don't think that we were aware of it from any trailers. I'm not really sure. But that was one of the ones that people told us was really good. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like when it follows word of mouth like that when you haven't seen a lot of the marketing for it. Because, I mean, I've kind of already mentioned it, but I don't have cable. I love not having cable. I don't... If, I only see trailers if I'm in the movie theater ahead of time or something that I'm following on Facebook or some other social media post it. But you know what I mean? I'm not like trailer overload all the time or, and you know, it is a little it's a little hypocritical of me to complain about trailers and then to include a segment on our show called Trailer Talk where we look at the trailers for the next coming week. But we're trying I'm, to perform a service. I'm going to disagree with that because we don't need everything about the story in the trailer. True. I, we I love movie trailers, but I don't need to know everything. I want to go in and, and be surprised and with, with that though excited. that's exactly why my issue is boycotting not because i love i love watching trailers i like getting to the movie theater early and watching them i hate having parts of the movie spoiled in the trailer like i remember being a kid and there were times where like you would go see a comedy because the trailer looked funny and then you'd see the movie and the only funny parts were in the trailer oh, yeah and that was one thing but now it, it does feel like they're just giving way too much away in the trailer especially if you're bre- breaching into the third act of your movie i i feel like you're doing a disservice now there are people who don't agree with that with spoilers like they don't think spoilers are are in any way going to damage their opinion of a film but i enjoy the surprise that a film can bring and so so I prefer going in without the spoilers. Um, and for a while, I was boycotting trailers. But when you go to the movie theater as often as I do, and you are like me, prefer to get in before the movie starts, you're going to see trailers. And I'm seeing so many movies, I'm seeing more and more and more and more trailers. Um, so boycotting them has just not become an option for me. Um, in fact, uh, before we get into the trailer talk for this week, I did get another email today. I'm hoping I'm going to get to go, but I got a um, A24 invite for a screening on Monday, uh, but it's Monday morning instead of Monday evening. So it's a morning critic screening Weird. of, um, I think it's called Lovers, the movie about the uh, married couple who was cheating on, on like both people, the husband and wife were having an affair. And then um, they're 
ready to get divorced, but something happens where they the spark reignites between them, and now they have to break up with their affairs. And it's it. Um, I think uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones is is the boyfriend of the the wife, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I can't think of any of the names right now, but I, I saw the trailer a while back, and I wanted to see the movie, and oh, I got the screener in. That's right, Deborah Winger yes. is in this. Yep, mm-hmm. and Tracy Letts. Yes. They play the couple. And the trailer looked really entertaining, and I really hope I get to go, but I have not confirmed yet that I'm going to be able to miss work. Um, I love the tagline. It says, a love so strong it can survive marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it looks it looks entertaining, so I, I hope to catch that one. And uh, if not, you know, it comes out, it's supposed to come out on the 19th, but, you know, find out. I'd, I'd love to get a critic screening in, though, for it. Um, I think that pretty much, I mean, I, I saw a bunch of movies last week. All of my reviews are up on BurkeReviews.com. I took it kind of easy this week because of all the films I watched for the festival. Um, I will be getting into some more films next week, though. I have a stack of DVDs that are piling up, or Blu-ray slash DVDs, that I want to start getting into, especially with summer fast approaching. So let's get into trailer talk. Um, Next week, which is May 12th, we have two movies coming out, um, one of which... Uh, has some importance to Corey, um, which I'll real quick outline. Our most recent episode of Top 5 Movies, which you can get on the same network that you get this podcast, which is Burke Reviews Podcast. You can subscribe. um, You can listen to us on SoundCloud. But our last episode of Top 5 Movies is our 2017 Summer Movie Fantasy Draft Challenge, um, where all three of us, Corey, myself, and our partner, Mike, um, we took turns picking our fantasy teams, uh, serpentine style. You can get all the rules and stuff on that episode if you're interested. But um, we each have a team of five movies where um, we will be earning points over the summer based on how they perform both critically and financially. And uh, Corey picked this first movie that's coming out next week, which is the bigger, I think, of the two, which is uh, King Arthur, The Legend of the Sword. Um, So Corey picked this for her top five. What are your thoughts of the trailer, Corey? Okay, so the very first time that I saw the trailer in theaters, I forget between before which movie, the first glimpse I thought, I thought it was it had Tom Hardy in it. Oh. So if Tom Hardy was in it, I would totally be in. <laughs> but I, mm, I don't know. I'm... I don't feel like I'm very interested in this. Well, if you're not familiar... But I want you oh. all to go see it so that you can help me get points, so... <laughs> Talk about hypocritical. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, this is a Guy Ritchie take on the King Arthur story, which has been attempted many, many times uh, with minimal success in the past. Um, stars Guy... Uh, not, doesn't star Guy Ritchie. Stars Charlie Hunnam, Hunnam, I think. Astrid Burgess Frisbee, which is a cool last name. Jude Law. Um, I can never say that dude's name. Eric Bana's in it. Aiden Gillen, who I just mentioned, the little finger. Um, that dude's in a bunch of anything that requires British actors. Um, even though I think he is Irish, but still, anytime there's a, that area, he ends up in the film. And then a bunch of other people who I'm not as familiar with. Um, the movie looks interesting, and I will say Guy Ritchie generally, um, entertains me not saying he makes the best movies but i generally enjoy uh, a guy Ritchie movie i love snatch uh quite a bit big fan of the sherlock holmes with robert downey jr um particularly the first one second one didn't really work for me um there's good moments but it it just never felt as great as the first one did like I remember watching, actually, the first time I saw that Sherlock Holmes movie by Guy Ritchie was, I was at the gym, at Gold's Gym, watching it on the treadmill. Like, they had the movie room where they had the big projection screen. And I, I was so captivated, I, I worked out way longer than I was planning um, because I didn't want to leave the movie, and I was too into it. And so I went home and bought it. And um, it's it's one I'm a big fan of. I haven't watched it in a couple years now, but it was a film that I was watching, like, regularly when it was on, like, basic cable and stuff. That one has Jude Law in it, too, doesn't it? Correct. He's Watson. Yep. Mm, okay. Yep, uh, and I like Jude Law generally. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm not a big Charlie Hunnam fan. Like from what I've seen him in, um, he's in. Um, man, my brain totally just went dead on me. He's in the uh, Guillermo del Toro film with the big giant robots. Why can't I remember is the it name of that? Pacific Rim. That is what it is called. Yes, um, Pacific okay. Rim. He is uh, the main guy in Pacific Rim. Well, technically the main guy, the guy we're following, who's the um, the operator of the robot. Man, I I've forgotten that movie so hard. I watched that movie on the plane, and that's all. <laughs> um, but uh sense of anarchy he's son of it i never watched that series um i think people liked him on that and from what i've heard people say this is a pretty good performance of his oh and he's also in the other guillermo del toro film um that you love crimson peak he is the awful doctor friend um (laughs) but he's a good guy yeah but he's awful wasn't he he was he was so bad in that movie i have to i have to take a moment because wikipedia i love you and i know it can be edited by pretty much anyone but i pulled up Charlie 
Putnam, and it says that Hunnam was born in Newcastle, Pontine, England, the son of William Billy Hunnam, a gangster and scrap metal merchant. Nice. A gangster and scrap metal merchant, everybody. Well, you know, sometimes you, the gangstering isn't make, paying the bills, so you got to <laughs> yeah. sell scrap metal. Yeah, we're all bases. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely have some apprehension. I am very glad it wasn't on my fantasy team. Um, because thanks a lot. Well, I um I've listened to two other podcasts that did a similar, uh, not similar necessarily in how we did it, but they're doing some type of summer wager. Uh, Slash Film does one called the Summer Movie Wager, which is a uh, very different because they rank the movies, and so they get points based on where how close they are to the rank. So like if I think this is gonna be number two and it's actually number three, I still get some points kind of thing. Um, and none of them had King Arthur on their top 10. And that's uh, four people that do that. No, five people that do that challenge. Um, and it wasn't on any of their top 10s. Um, okay, in my defense, there aren't that many great big movies coming out this summer. Well, and the big catch for them is they don't take into critical acclaim, so it's only box office. Um, so, like, where Transformers on theirs is a m- more logical pick because it will have a big box office probably, it's probably not going to have a big critic rating. So it was a risk for us. Um, to take that where this um, there's a chance King Arthur will have a decent critic rating and make okay money but it is going to be following Guardians week two so it'll be the second week Guardians is out in America um, and it has to you know beat that and that's going to be a challenge and it's also competing with this next movie which is definitely a different um, demographic but this is uh, the film Corey's most anticipated movie of 2017 uh, it's called Snatched um, and even saying that title makes me feel dirty. I like it just especially because of who it is. Like if this was any other actress saying snatched wouldn't make me cringe. But knowing how Amy Schumer likes to make dirty jokes. And if you watch the trailer that I sent you, there is a dirty joke that seems to apply to the title built into the trailer. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please don't look it up. But Amy Schumer, uh, Goldie Hawn, who hasn't done a movie in 15 years, if I'm not mistaken, um, playing a mother and daughter duo who go on to a vacation in South America and are kidnapped in their attempt to uh, get saved. Um, this is Amy Schumer's follow-up uh, to Trainwreck, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think she's done another lead role since then. Um, directed by Jonathan Levine, who I'm not familiar with, and Katie Dippold is the writer. And I'm probably mispronouncing her name. Oh, well, Jonathan Levine did Warm Bodies, which I found entertaining. I um, liked that movie oh, a lot. He, he also did 50 50 which I also like a lot um, with uh, Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, oh wait, he may not have directed Warm Bodies. Hold on. He definitely wrote Warm Bodies. Um, he di- he directed The Night Before. He did direct Warm Bodies. I have this movie. I've never watched it. The Wackness. I got that at the Dollar Tree. Um, that's right. I buy movies at the Dollar Tree if I've never heard of them. Um, yeah, so Jonathan Levine's directing. I want to hear your thoughts on the trailer, Corey, because you are such a big Amy Schumer fan. I can see your poster of her behind your head there in the Skype chat. Um, big, big fan, uh, right next to, is that the Zoe Deschanel poster you have up there too? That is impressive, Corey. Uh, two very strong, loved female comedians, uh, very similar too. Their, their personalities are almost identical. Um, people listening to the podcast, if you haven't caught on, this is my sarcastic tone and it's not always clear. I'm pretty good at delivering sarcasm in a way in which not everyone will pick up on it. So just wanted to clarify, no, Zoe Deschanel and Amy Schumer are not similar, and Corey does not have their posters. But if you could see her face right now, you'd be laughing. I wish hard. that you all could. Um, oh my God, I cannot stand Amy Schumer. I'm not going to go on a 10 minute rant about this, but I can't stand her. She makes my skin crawl. She's right up there. She's above Zoe Deschanel, actually. She's up there with Lena Dunham. Oh, Boom. I, man, you have a lot of girls you don't like. <laughs> Boom. Because why do you have to be dumb and obnoxious? And please stop talking. Just don't say anything because you make us look bad. Um, so not excited about it. Um, it actually looked kind of funny in the trailer up until the part where, oh, darn, we got into a car accident and now we got kidnapped because we're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, are you serious? Well, I can't tell if they're if the car accident is intentional, as in, like, if the guy like who's, who's driving them. Well, I think the car hitting them is definitely intentional, but... The guy who's driving them out there, because Goldie Hawn says, like, where are we? And he's all like, whoa, we're on a scenic route or whatever. And then they get kidnapped. So I don't know if he's, like, the one who kidnaps them, which definitely seems to be what they're hinting at. And if so, okay, predictable, I guess. But um, I was a big Amy Schumer fan pre-Trainwreck. Um, I, I remember the first time I saw her was with her boyfriend at the time, Anthony Jeselnik, doing the, um, I think, the Roseanne Barr roast. I think that was the first time. It was one of it was a roast on Comedy Central. I feel like it was Roseanne Barr. It may have been um, Pamela Anderson that was first. I don't whichever one was first. That's the first time I saw her do do it technically a stand up, even though it's a roast. 
Um, and her and Jess and Nick are both uh, shock comics for sure. They like to say things that people are usually repulsed by, but some people, I don't know who these sick people are, find funny. I did find them funny. But nonetheless, um, not long after they did their second roast on Comedy Central, they both had stand-up specials, and I like both of them quite a bit. And I did find, like, Amy's uh, insult jokes were a little better. Um, and then her first stand-up, you know, she, she's definitely a dirty comic. She likes to do a lot of self-deprecating sex jokes and things like that. And I found it entertaining the first time. Um, I didn't make it through 15 minutes of her newest special on Netflix, uh, which came out like a month or two ago. Um, and from what I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it had a half a star rating before they switched to their <laughs> thumbs up and thumbs down um, on Netflix, which is, I think everyone's done with her. Um, and that's, to me, has always been an issue with shock comics, is if you start off so shocking, you really have nowhere left to go. You've given your, it's, yeah. it's the Death Star scenario in Star Wars. When you start off a franchise with a thing that can destroy a planet, you've got not a whole lot of other places to go. And same thing, because everyone always references the Death Star. I don't have an issue with the multiple Death Stars in the Star Wars universe, because every spy movie I've ever seen is featured around a nuclear bomb. Because once you go to the biggest thing in that that world, that setting that can destroy the world, you've almost got to always go back to it, because other and everything else feels less significant or less you know concerning. And I feel like that's the same thing with shock comics, is once they make you feel so shocked that you're like, oh my goodness, they got nothing left. They got to keep going for that same hit. They've, they've hit the the plateau of, of shock. And so they either go way, they try to go bigger, which they can't. And so it comes off as insincere or silly or ridiculous, which I think is where she's at. Cause some of the jokes, he's like, really? That's not even, it's not funny. It's just Take your millions, yeah. fade into obscurity. But snatch, I had hoped for before I saw the trailer. Um, I thought maybe, maybe this, cause she's got Goldie Hawn with her. Maybe it won't be quite as raunchy and it doesn't seem like it's as raunchy as like, as it could be. Cause train wreck was raunchy, but it was still fairly mild. I mean, the, the, the spoken word was raunchy, but like visually it wasn't that bad. Uh, there's no actual nudity. There's a lot of, you know, innuendo jokes and things like that. John Cena being the surprise funniest part of train wreck to me. Um, but snatch looks kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, they, they dragged Wanda Sykes into this, which I haven't seen in a while, but Wanda Sykes used to be pretty funny and um, I don't know how significant her role is going to be but she's definitely in the film and I don't know I don't know and I will say too like if you've seen the posters for this they photoshop the crap out of Goldie Hawn on the posters like she looks so much more uh, she looks so much younger in the poster than she does in the movie um, it is super noticeable um, but you know if it's funny then great I'll, I may end up seeing it I'm not going to go out of my way to see it but yeah if, if Amy Schumer is your cup of tea then you'll probably like Snatch if you are like what appears to be the rest of America we're, we're done with her and you know feel bad I'm not insulting her because there's some people who are just like mean about her they you know calling her fat and calling her you know like <laughs> stuff like that that's not my issue yeah. I have no problem with her I wish she would tone it down a bit, I think is my issue. Like, she is funny, but I feel like she's she's overstepped now, and she's become almost a caricature of, of herself. Like, she feels, like, crafted. She doesn't feel like a genuine comic, and I don't think that's entertaining. I, I like someone who feels like they're being themselves. Like, Jim Carrey could easily be said that he's crafted because he does a lot of the same stuff. I just think that's who he is, and, and Amy might be that person, and it, if she is, then I still don't like her. But it, if it's if I'm right and it's just she's become this, I have to be this thing to get work. That sucks, you know, because I've seen her be funny. I know she can be funny. Snatch looks kind of cheesy, you know, like a generic comedy. There's going to be the generic jokes, um, you know. And honestly, if it really is about sex trafficking, which is definitely hinted at a few times, I, do we need a sex trafficking comedy? Like Comedy? Like, is that where we're at? Or have we have we fixed that problem enough? Where oh no, yeah, well exactly. That's my point. Like, it's not it's not resolved to a point where we should be making jokes about it yet. You know, um, and like it'd be one thing if they were directly parroting Taken, which they make a joke about Taken in the trailer. But if they were parroting that film, that's different. You're making fun of the film. You're not making fun of the the issue. And I don't know that they are making fun of the issue, but they're definitely making light of the issue that, like, hey, these sex traffickers are so dumb that two ditzy blondes from America can take care of themselves. So can you. Like, that's okay. And I'm not, that's not even the reason I'm not seeing it. I'm just saying, like, 
that's just adding to the issues with this movie potentially having. And maybe again, I might be misconstruing the trailer. Maybe it has nothing to do with sex trafficking. Um, although the trailer, the trailer I sent you, which was the first time I've seen that one, it's definitely more of a red band trailer. Um, even though it didn't say red band, but it definitely was an unedited trailer because some of the jokes were pretty raunchy. Um, there's a scene where she says something about Goldie Hans says to Amy Schumer that I'm not going in there. That's how they get you. And the, the kid behind the bar is like, Oh no, don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. They like pretty young women. And it's just like, okay, so they're just going to make fun of these women the whole movie. Like, I, I don't want to watch that, but yeah. Uh, so two movies lackluster uh, May 12th odds are people are going to continue going to see Guardians of the Galaxy um, volume 2 I will be going to see King Arthur for sure I wanted to see it I had a ticket to see it last week at a not a critic screening just a like a special pre-screening that Regal and um, it wasn't Regal AMC I think I don't remember who did it somebody somebody had a pre-screening and I got a t- I got tickets but it was the it was still the film festival weekend and I just couldn't make it to Brandon to see it so um, I will check that out Thursday my review for it will be up on the website on Friday and then I'll probably see Snatched uh, at some point who knows not a whole lot coming out in the first two weeks so thank you for your patronage and your points <laughs> all right we are jumping into our movie of the week uh, Corey and I both watched the film Tramps um, on Netflix before we get into our comments on the film I am gonna Go through the IMDb uh, plot summary, um, talk about the director who I am not familiar with, and a couple of the actors who I, uh, one I didn't place right away, and one I was really surprised was in the movie, and I was super excited when I saw him. So uh, the film Tramps, it came out in 2016, uh, officially I think it hit the film circuit, it just came out on April 21st on Netflix. Um, this year. Uh, the summary is very straightforward and very, very, very ambiguous. A young man and woman find love in an unlikely place while carrying out a shady deal. First of all, um, before we get any further, maybe, Corey, you should uh, give them the heads up. Dun, dun, dun. Spoiler warning. We're going to talk about this movie probably in some great detail. So if you don't want spoilers, go watch the movie. Like we said, it's on Netflix. And then you can come back and give us a listen or full steam ahead. And I got to say, I feel like I may have spoiled something by reading that plot summary because... The finding love, well, I guess it's somewhat predictable. You don't really get that till like three quarters of the way through the movie, that that's even an option for these two. Maybe maybe more for the girl. But um, it's directed by Adam Leon, or I'm assuming it's Leon. It's probably Leon. Leon. Man, I can't speak. Um, he did Give Me the Loot. He wrote Give Me the Loot. Um, he also wrote Tramps. Um, he wrote and directed Give Me the Loot and Killer, which is a short, but Give Me the Loot was his first feature film um, from 2012 that did not uh, did well at the film festivals, but it did not get distribution, if I understand correctly. And so he was uh, very disappointed because uh, the movie, while it had good reception, did, he was not able to like pay the people the proper way or something along those lines. Um, oh. And so the uh, the way I came across this movie is I was reading an article that was titled um, that Netflix could actually be bad for indie film, I think is what the article was proposing. Um, and use Tramps as a film um, to point it out that not like it's great. And Adam Leon was super excited because Netflix's deal with him. He's able to pay his actors well. People are going to have the ability to see this movie instead of it getting buried in uh, indie film obscurity, which is sad when that happens. Um, in fact, some of the films I saw at the festival this year are going to end up getting buried in indie film obscurity where most people will never see them. And that's disappointing. And that was the article's point. I really wish I, I should have saved the uh, the name of the guy who wrote the article, but um was that Tramps he saw at the festival, whoever the writer was, he saw it at Sunset uh, Sundance, and he really liked it. And this is the second Sundance film that we have seen on Netflix for this podcast because we saw uh, I don't want to live in this I don't want to live in this world anymore. Right? Is that the name of the movie? I don't feel at home in this yes, world anymore. I love that movie. Um, those are both Sundance films that Netflix picked up. Um, neither of which got a lot of promotion from Netflix. Like, um, Tramps was, the day it came out, it was on the top of the Netflix for me, but that was one day. Um, I didn't see it on the recently added list, or at least not early on the recently added list. I didn't see it on New Arrival added, like, the list that they have on Netflix. Um, I found this by searching and because of the article talking about this movie, and that was his concern, is that, yes, they're buying these properties, but it's so much content on Netflix that it gets buried. So it's not much different um, than, you know, um, oh, man, my brain went dead. It's not much different than if it was just not picked up because, one, it, since it Netflix doesn't do what Amazon does, like Amazon, they buy a movie, but they still do a theatrical release. Netflix has not done very many theatrical released films that they've picked up. So that means this film is not eligible for any awards. It can't get, I don't think it can get the Indie Spirit Award. Um, I don't think, I know it can't get the Oscars. I, it can't get the um, Golden Globes. So even if, not saying it would, but it's not even eligible because it's never been in a, uh, apparently, which I'm not 100% that's true because my understanding was if you play at a festival, that counts. But according to what I read in this article, I really wish I had saved in front of me now, but 
I am curious about that because while it may not be true for Tramps, it could be true for other indie films that get picked up through other means. Um, that because Netflix isn't doing a theatrical release, it's not going to be eligible for the festival circuit. Which, if they were to be nominated, doesn't mean they're going to win, but it does mean people will hear about them. Like, more people saw Lion because of its Academy Award nomination than would have seen Lion. Same thing with Moonlight. Um, La La Land... Maybe some people were not interested in La La Land, but um, because of the musical aspect, but it got a lot of recognition. But it had big names. But you have Moonlight, um, and you have Lion, that were both very small films that both got a lot of uh, the theatrical play. Even in my local area, which we don't usually get these type of movies, our mall had Lion for like a month after the Academy Awards because it was doing so well. And I think that I found the article you were referencing. Oh, perfect. Netflix. Netflix keeps buying great movies, so it's a shame they're getting buried by David Ehrlich. That sounds right. That sounds like the headline. So, David Ehrlich. Um, does it say what publication that was from? IndieWire. Okay, that sounds exactly right. So, that's how I came across this movie and why Corey and I picked it. Uh, that, And we wanted to give our, our listeners something easy to access. Uh, most of us have access to Netflix. Um, this film is right there. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to rent anything. You can just check it out. And we're going to try to do that not every every week for sure, but you know maybe once a month highlight a film that's uh, either recently added or that we just discovered on Netflix um, for some reason or another. And sometimes it's just a happy coincidence. A movie that we both really want to watch also happens to be on Netflix, but Tramps. Um, so Corey knew nothing about this movie before I mentioned it, right? That's right. And to be fair, I knew very little. Um, the film stars, though, someone that we should both be a big fan of based on his previous film, and that's Callum Turner. Do you know what film he was in? You just found out. <laughs> was he in Sing Street? No, not Sing Street. No. But a movie from last year about a band. Oh, it's Green Room! That's right, it's Green Room. He plays Tiger. Is he the lead singer? He is the lead singer with green hair in Green Room. Um, I think it's green. Maybe it's more aqua. Um, but I didn't catch on. I'm watching the movie. And I'm like, that guy looks familiar. That guy looks familiar. Movie ended. I finally looked at my phone because I try not to look at my phone while I'm watching the movie. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Tiger from Green Room. And as soon as I saw it, it clicked who he was. But um, I, I found him in this film to be super charming. I really liked him a whole lot. I liked him a lot also. I loved his character. Which is named he was Danny. was a little naive, but also really wise at the same time. That's one of the things I liked about him. He was clearly, he was competent, but there was a a, um, a, a naivety and, and a fear. There was, you know, like he was trying to be one guy, but you, you heard him stutter. You heard him get very nervous. He was in a world that he didn't belong in. Um, and he meets Ellie, who is played by Grace Van Patten, um, who I also really liked a lot. She reminded me of Shailene Woodley, but like more street, like a more not quite so Hollywood hipster-ish type Shailene Woodley. Do you not know who that is? No, I'm looking her up. Um, Spectacular Now, the Divergent series, which I don't like to recommend. Um, the, oh, The Descendants um, with George Secret Clooney. Life. Uh, the, the Secret American Life of American Teenager. Yeah, she's the, the, the main character in that show. That's not a good example of her. I had a negative opinion of her because of that show. Oh, and Fault in Our Stars, which is her probably biggest um, teeny bop film, um, which I still haven't seen. But I love Spectacular Now with her and Miles Teller. Um, this is not Shailene Woodley, though, so I should stop talking about her and talk about Grace Van Patten, who I had not seen in before, but she's in a movie called Maggie. Uh, I'm sorry, that's wrong. She's in a movie called Stealing Cars, where she plays Maggie, um, and Wild Wedding. Wild spelled with an E, so I'm assuming it's somebody's name, not the, uh, sure it's a pun, but, um, she's on a, one episode of Boardwalk Empire, one episode of Law & Order, and two episodes of Sopranos, so she's not, a small career, but she's great in this movie. I didn't really like her. Oh, well, you may not like Shailene Woodley. <laughs> I felt like she was trying a little hard. Do you I... support your evidence, or your claim? Okay, I felt like her performance came off as very insincere. Hmm. Like, and can we please stop giving actresses and actors cigarettes to fake smoke in movies? Like, you know what I mean? I hate that so much. I don't like cigarettes. I don't like cigarette smoking. But it's super... Oh, what's that word? It, oh, dang it. Off-putting. Yes. When they're like, it looks like a 12-year-old smoking a cigarette. Like, just puffing and then, like, just blowing it out. Not even, like... It looks so unnatural. I don't know. It's very, it, yeah. Now see, so um, there were a few examples in the movie. Um, wh like one when she takes the dress from the uh, the house that they go into. Um, and kind of towards the end of the film, I just, I found her, um, like, she has this tough facade about her throughout the film. She's uh, also pretty fearless, which yes. I can mm -hmm. definitely respect. She walks into places not necessarily cocky, cockily, but like she's not afraid to take up her space, I guess. Cockily sounds like the worst vegetables since Co Brussels sprouts. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to think of words. It's been a long week, guys. Um, 
She, I don't know. She just, like, when they go into the house, she's not afraid. But then there are parts where she is kind of afraid, but she does it anyways. Yeah, and I felt like she, she conveyed that emotion every time, including the um the hope that i thought she showed when she had the dress on there was this hope of a normal life and then at the train station at the end of the film um there's this again this apprehension but hope like when she was or it's just when she's placing the order for her train ticket or bus ticket and she's uh she says you know phil or pittsburgh and then she hesitates and no providence um there's just this like twinkle in her eyes this little bit of hope something that you see in this character very little as she's you know, seems to have a very cynical kind of point of view of the world, and I thought she she played that very well. Um, not perfect necessarily. In fact, I wouldn't say anything about this movie's perfect, but there's a lot of endearing moments, and I enjoyed the characters. And the big surprise, the big name, I think the biggest name in this movie is Mike Birbiglia, who I am a huge huge fan of, and Corey does not know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> My face. Um. Okay, I need to know who that is. All right. Well, Mike Bur- oh. Mike Birbiglia is a stand-up comedian who I am a huge fan of. Um, he has at least two Netflix specials. And they're, they're, I'm sorry, they're not Netflix specials. Uh, they are two specials, com- comedy specials that are on Netflix. And I think he has one Netflix special from this year. Um, he has two movies uh, that he has written and directed. He wrote and directed Sleepwalk with Me, which is also one of his stand-up albums. Um, he has a condition where he he legitimately has a, it's a sleep disorder where um, certain dreams he will act out while he's asleep and has jumped out of the window of a hotel room. But luckily, he uh, knows he has this disease and or the disorder and so always sleeps on the first floor of the hotel room, but legitimately jumped through the window, not the open window, through the glass window while he was sleeping because he had a dream that there was a missile coming to blow up and he was like a spy. Um, so serious disorder. It's a legitimate thing. And so the movie Sleepwalk With Me kind of deals with it, but it's he has this really great sense of humor about his life um super entertaining and he's a predominantly clean comic uh he doesn't do a whole lot of blue work he he mainly um he doesn't curse but he also he doesn't like being labeled as such because then it pigeonholes you you know when you can't curse um he he has his new special which i recommend you check out anybody uh but Corey, you should definitely check out on netflix he has a bit where he got to do a benefit with the muppets and he curses and he's not known to be like The way he re- he does like his own like internal reactions to things, but he does it out loud for the stand up, and he he kills me. I I find him uh, to be one of the most underrated stand up comics. I I try to talk about him to anyone who likes comedy. Um, if you like Jim Gaffigan or if you like um, Brian Regan, who are both also known as clean comics, Birbiglia is better than Regan in my opinion, and I like him more. I like him more than current Gaffigan. Maybe early Gaffigan is this, is about the same, but Birbiglia is currently one of my favorite stand ups. Um, and his most recent film from last year, uh, Don't Think Twice, where he's he's actually writer-director and he's a co-star, but the leads in it are Jillian Jacobs and um, Keegan-Michael Key. And that just got added to Netflix, I think, last week. And that's one I definitely recommend everybody check out. Um, it is Sleepwalk With Me is good, uh, but it is a super indie film. It's very low budget and it's noticeable at times. Um, Don't Think Twice is a much better like production. It is great, and I was really excited to hear they added it to Netflix because um, I want everyone to see it. Uh, he he, it didn't get a big distribution deal, but now that he's on Netflix, um, more people will get to watch it. And Birbiglia shows up in Tramps as Scott, who is uh, the guy who kind of brokers the deal for Ellie and um, Darren, who is Danny's brother. Danny is, uh, again, Callum Turner. His brother Darren is played by Michael Vondel, who I do not know as an actor. Um, He was on an episode of Blacklist, at least. And that's, that's the only thing I recognize. Um, but so this story is really kind of interesting, huh? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Corey does not see. What, let's go to your, what are your initial uh, comments on the film before we get into ratings and stuff? But, oh. I always kind of struggle with what to say here. I don't think it's a necessary film to see. What would you define as a necessary like film? Like, Do you mean as in it's so in- entertaining, it's life-changing, it, is, has, it has a worldview that people need to be aware of? Like, What, what makes a film necessary? That's hard. I don't feel like there was anything about this story that hasn't been said or done before. Okay. Um, I don't know that I can disagree with that. I mean, it's it's a very simple love story. Um, you know, it's the two people who would probably not normally have met each other meet under kind of dire circumstances, and they're forced to be together because of that. Um, I feel like this movie uh subverts a lot of expectations of the the genre because in some ways it's not a heist movie per se, although there's a heist element um these two people would be the getaway driver and the um i don't want to call him the launderer because he's not technically laundering money in the traditional sense but 
he is a go-between. He They're dumping something off to him, and then he is then swapping it with somebody else to, to create another layer uh, to hide from the police. Um, and he is not a criminal. The job was supposed to be for his brother, Darren, who apparently is a criminal. Danny wants to be a chef, which uh, I like how they tell us that early. You see him cooking and the, the level of detail he's putting into things. Even the, the cherry tomato salad and the like shredded carrot like slaw that he makes... It looks very fancy, and at the same time, um, clearly, like, they don't have a lot of money. You know, it's not an expensive-looking dish, but it looks, like, super fancy. Like, something, like, I'm like, can you eat carrots like that? I've never seen just a pile of shredded carrots before. It was plated beautifully. Yes, and here here he was juxtaposed with the opening sequence where they're running a horse-racing gambling thing outside of their house via the internet. Um, it's a really crazy juxtaposition, and they really make you see that Danny's not like the rest of his family. He's in a family of what I thought initially was Russian, but it's Polish, which I found really interesting later because Ellie says, you speak Russian? I'm like, oh, good. It's not just me who thought this was Russian. It is Polish. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, we see this juxtaposition. We know Danny's different than the rest of him. And so visually, the way the story's constructed is very well done. It's got a lot of great visual storytelling uh, built into it. Solid camera work. I mean, technically, this film is very sound. Um, where I think it subverts expectations and breaks the genre is I kept waiting for the uh, the hammer to come down on them. Because what happens, and this is, if you haven't watched the movie and you just need to kind of keep up, Danny um, gets the briefcase and he screws up the exchange. And in a way that seems very innocent, right? Like he's standing there. Here's, they told him, the woman with the green bag, you're going to swap bags. You're going to leave the briefcase. You're going to take the other bag. Woman with the green purse, he grabs the bag, he hops on the train, doors close, he looks up, sees that there's another woman with a green bag and a briefcase staring at him like, what the hell are you doing? And he's stuck. He's on the train. What do you do? So he gets off of the next stop and runs back (laughs) because that's what you do, right? And there's, uh, she's gone. So I'm trying to, I'm leaving pauses, Corey, so if I'm just yapping away and you want to jump in, please do, but... Um, you know, so I, I thought his reaction to that was pretty funny. Oh yeah, I, I love that sequence. I love and, the, the panic that is in his eyes, and yet, like I'm gonna get, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna fix it, and he's just, he, you can at that point. And he's running across New York City, everybody. Yeah, uh, this is to set in New York. Get back to the train station. Yeah, and so right away, like when you see, the, and then when he gets there, the the right person's gone. So now he's stuck with the wrong bag and no clues and no uh, no contact information because the girl driver who has now left him, Ellie, is the driver had had all that information so he has nothing he doesn't know what to do and um by coincidence ellie and him run into each other and that's when they're they're forced together so right away you get the indication that the people who he's working for because we don't know what's in the briefcase so there is like a tarantino pulp fiction-esque reference here that there's a briefcase as a MacGuffin that most of the movie the briefcase is just to push the plot forward we don't really know what the significance is about it um, although, unlike Pulp Fiction, at some point we do get uh, at least a glimpse of what was in the briefcase. Um, but every time I kept waiting for the, the, the mobsters to either kill Danny or threaten to kill both of them and that they would be on the run or everything. And none of that really ever happens. Everything works out pretty, pretty well. Like, apparently, one, the gangsters weren't that dangerous. Um, because they never actually do anything. They don't ever hit him. And in fact, they weren't even stealing anything really valuable. It was basically a rich white woman who wanted to get back at her husband who said whatever was in the briefcase, which looked like it was like a, a proof of a painting, that he said she would never get this. And so now she got it. And so it was just to stick it to him. I loved that. I thought that it was a small piece of original artwork. I was kind of confused about how they got control of it. Did they? Did that guy rob the husband? Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly the premise, but the heist isn't completely relevant because the people doing the heist are off camera. We don't see how they do it, what they're doing, where even the briefcase was. We don't even really have a frame of reference of where they're waiting in the car, just that he, they're told to keep the, the back window down. The guy throws the briefcase in and runs off, I'm assuming, to help you know keep the cops chasing him or whomever chasing him while the car gets away. Then the kid gets dumped off on the train station. He makes the exchange. That person takes the new briefcase. If they get him, if the cops catch up to to our character Danny, he's got a briefcase full of probably nothing, like papers or whatever, and he's clean, while the other one's been now, you know, exchanged and, and laundered, so to speak. But that's not how things work out. And again, um, every time I think I understand the the you know, the potential danger that they're in, it always works out. Like when they end up um looking for the the house of the owner of the purse and they're looking in the mailbox and the guy pulls up in the SUV and threatens like you know what I do when I'm lost call the cops and they're like no 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 we're good we're good 
And then we're just leaving. Yeah, we're we're leaving. And then they end up in his house by accident because <laughs> the guy's daughter lets them in. Which, okay, two things. I want to know what's in that living room that they're supposed to be picking up for somebody. Yeah, what was in the living room? And more, she says, "Don't let the dog out. Never see a dog." Right. And that okay. So you're talking about all of this, like kind of build up to something bad happening. Mm-hmm. Totally agree because they initially wa- they end up leaving the house after a sequence of events and then the next time that they go back i'm waiting for the damn dog to be there yes. and to get them me too nothing yeah no the whole time i'm like oh they're gonna get attacked by like a pit bull or something crazy it's gonna be some monstrous dog nope no dog and that's kind of this movie and i think it's always by design it's like these two are maybe each other's lucky charms like they seem like they've had a pretty crappy life up until they meet each other and we know that Ellie's got some kind of really crappy relationship that she's stuck in. She doesn't feel like she can leave him. And Danny's got his family who they definitely control his life. And they don't, you know, like the mom acts like Darian's the good one. But Darian's breaking the law left and right. Um, and she makes him help Danny help yeah. this brother that's a delinquent yeah. and that's actually in jail that can't do his own crime. Because he's in jail. He gets arrested for something dumb in Atlantic City the day before he's supposed to do this job. And so, and Danny's a good guy. Danny's even willing to give up his money because he made a mistake. He says that to Ellie. Like, he's like, I'm just going to forfeit my share. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Ellie's making a deal with Scott, uh, Michael Burbiglia's character, um, to take Danny's share of the money, implying that Danny was going to be killed. That's what I didn't understand. That's totally what I got to. But again, I think that's, that's kind of the point. None of this was some big crime thing. These were guys who are like petty thieves who this woman hired to steal something that was ins- insignificant, um, but it mattered to her. But it mattered to the husband. It mattered to her. I don't think it's valuable. I think it's more, it, it sounded like a petty, he said I couldn't have this. I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to get it. And that's what I kind of liked about the film a lot is that every time I thought I knew what was going to happen, it, it didn't. And not in some, it never felt contrived either. It just felt like he, he was basically like, Anyone who's ever seen a movie will expect this outcome, and I'm not going to give it to you because this is grounded in more of a re- real-life type thing. Like, um, you know, they, they didn't do anything where, like, the cops aren't even going to be looking for this because it's something so minuscule. This is a small, petty theft thing that they made us think was this big heist. Like, I thought there were diamonds in there or drugs or something big, and it's nothing. And again, even the person who they deliver it to, I'm, when she gets dropped off, the guy's like, get out of the car. And she's like, or uh, first of all, let's back up just a little bit. When he makes her get in the back of the SUV, that seems yeah. real scary. Yeah, right? And then he just lets her out on some, you know, in some neighborhood. Where am I going? Who, blah, blah, blah. Some rich woman, no big deal. Yeah. And then she just goes in and it's legit, no big deal. And she just hands her a wad of cash. Yep, and she's super nice about it. She's like, and I'll let them yeah. know to, to, to pay the rest of the guys. Like, oh, oh, all right. This is, this is it, huh? Even yeah. Ellie looks surprised. Like, really? This is this what is happened. It? This is this was the whole thing. This was nothing. Like, it legitimately was almost nothing. It was like the easiest crime I've ever seen on film. And I think that's one of the things I really liked about it was it was about the characters. They had made it bigger in their own head. They had romanticized it from movies they had seen from the world that they know their friends are into. Like, they're aware that crime is out there. And then even the way Darren was with the briefcase where he tried to get the briefcase from, you know, he tried to convince Danny to betray Ellie and he was going to, but only because he thought Ellie was betraying him. Um, they they were both kind of duped and the way he ends up um, leaving and going to her um, and the fact that she shows up to give him money. I'm sorry, because she comes back from the thing and the guy's like, where to? And she looks at the, um, the I forgot what he wrote. His, oh, she had his ID. Um, That's right. And she she. We see her go there. Um, he lies about who she is. She gives him the money. He even he's leaving. He's done. He's finally going to leave his house. He's going to get rid of away from his family. He still leaves his mom money, you know. But we see the the major change in both the characters. Um, she's not going back to the guy who apparently is mistreating her. We never get much about that. But again, I think it's a a nice. It's a small story, and I like stories like this. Um, and, and a lot a lot of times, like I, I like a romance. Especially a romance that doesn't go too far. They're not madly in love at the end of this movie. In fact, they kiss and she... he kissed. I'm not saying that she wasn't. She wasn't. Um. Oh my gosh. He kissed her. Yes. And she was a little taken aback. Mm-hmm. Like whoa, 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 slow down. But the, what she says after that, 
is what made made it for me. It's a start. It's a start. Like I'm not mad that you kissed me. It's a start. Like there's hope. When he shaved because she told him his mustache looks stupid, and he shaved yeah. at with someone else's razor at the rich guy's that, house. I need to have a confession. I thought I was gonna throw up. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm so weird about stuff like that. I'm like. I mean, I know this is aiming high and this is being a little ridiculous, not being reasonable at all. But I'm like, what if that guy has some kind of blood disease mm. and you cut your face? I got to say, Corey, when you were down, I used your razor on my back. I hope that's okay. Ah, no! um, but, and by my back, I mean my butt. So just, you know. When you find <laughs> out that someone you thought was your friend truly <laughs> hates you. But... um. <laughs> But it's clean shaven, so that's a bonus. But uh, oh, when he shaves and she first sees him, that was one of my favorite moments from her in the film because there is so much attraction, and yet she's trying to play it off as though she's not. And it's like, no, girl, you can't. I see it. Like <laughs> Even when she's like picking out the dress. Mm, yes. Yeah, that, I mentioned that scene. That was one of the scenes where yeah. I thought she really played this character where she's been the cynical, like, negative person this whole time just trying to get through this, just trying to get through this, and you see the the cracks start forming there. When she's picking that dress, she's she's not the same person. She's showing this this hope inside of her. This there is a chance for me. I am not I'm not doomed. Because we, we find out she worked at a strip club. She claims she was just a waitress. Um but you know, his brother claims otherwise, but we don't know what to take from her. But if she was a stripper or if she was just a waitress at a strip club that wasn't something she wanted to do. She wasn't proud of it. She lied about it initially. Um, I, I forgot which, what job she said she had initially, but... First she said she was a bartender, and then yep. that she made fancy cocktails, and then she said she was a waitress. And then he kept prying, and she was like, but I worked at a strip club. That was kind of the thing, too, is she kept acting, and maybe this is from her whole life, you know, her life experiences and stuff, but she kept acting like he was so judgmental of everything. And there's mm. even a point where she's like, well, how many guys do you think I've slept with? Yeah. And it's like, he never said anything in that type of, you know, in that judgmental way at all. And he didn't no. care when she gave her answer. But I felt like we, we even see it. Scott, Mike Birbiglia's character judges her because um, he tries to get her to sleep at his house. And she's like, no. And he's like, you've done worse than me. Like, this is really kind of oh. cold. Like, I, I'm not the worst you could, you've, you've had sex with. And it's like, Whoa, dude, that's not how that works. Like, it's not, it's not a level of, like, judgment. Like, oh, well, you know, this is a better deal, so why not? Like, it's not, it's not a impulse buy, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, Jesus. And yeah. he, but he was trying to, like, that tone in his voice, and she, you get that, that's the only real character we, see, that we get to know that also knew Ellie beforehand, but the way he talks to her, she's definitely been constantly this, this victim of, assumptions that people just assume they understand who she is and what she is and she's clearly tired of it and i think at the same time she's tired of it but she's been she's let that like kind of sculpt her life like she's allowed these other people's perspectives to put her in a hole where she's now she feels stuck and trapped and um danny offers her that the first glimpse of a life outside of that um and providence rhode island I think it's Rhode Island. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, represents that to her, and that's why she chooses it. It's 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 a small story, but there's a lot done, and I think it's done very well. I think it's executed very well. I really do like the chemistry between the two leads. Um, their stories are relatable in, on a lot of ways. Um, that especially if you're from a small town. Um, not they're both from the city. I mean, he, he lives in New York. She's from Pittsburgh. Um, but just the idea that you know you feel stuck. And you feel like there's no choice, you, there's no options, and um, by by sheer happenstance. Now, granted, I, I'm in no way encouraging anyone to go on a heist uh, or like be a driver for a heist uh, in order to find yourself. But she she finds something she didn't know she was looking for by taking this job that she was just hoping um, to get enough money to go back to her crappy life, and she finds something much more. And so it worked. It worked pretty well for me. Again, I don't think it's a perfect movie. Um, nor do I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's substantial, but I don't think every movie has to be, um, life changing. And it's, to me though, this movie could be, um, life changing if the right person sees it. You know what I mean? Like a kid in a similar situation who feels stuck in a relationship or, um, like they can't escape their parents. Uh, this could be the, you know, that character that maybe they're like, that's me. I want to be a chef, 
but my parents don't want think it's the right thing for me or they don't care they don't think I should be in the family business or you know what I mean there's I hear it all the time as a teacher kids who don't feel like they have a choice of what they do because there's expectations at home or limitations because of their home you know like we I can't go to college because we don't have the money it's like well, most people who go to college don't have the money <laughs> we 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 get smothered in debt but we at least have a job that we're happy with you know like and this that's what to me this watching this really worked with me on that level um and i'll tell you one of my students uh, who's a writer on occasion for our site big tuna um he watched this because of us because we picked this last week and uh he liked it quite a bit from what i gathered i don't i don't remember his exact rating but um he enjoyed it and again not perfect it's not it, but it's not it's it's better than average um especially for a, a very independent film from a very young or at least inexperienced filmmaker i assume he's young uh i'll look at if they have his age on imdb but um is there anything else you want to mention mm, no <laughs> i think we covered it all i think so too i think we we hit on everything um i'm gonna let you give your rating first and then i'll give mine my least favorite part every <laughs> time also i can't believe this is episode 18 and also thank you big tuna for being an active participant <laughs> for real yeah, I feel like I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me. I'm going to... I feel like, actually, often, I need to say this, I end up liking a movie more after talking with you about it. Which, is, that's, to me, part of the reason to talk about a movie, is to to work out these different, you know, thoughts, and and to not just watch a movie, but to to think about the movie. What What is it trying to do? What's its goal? What is it set out to uh, to do for the audience? And of course, I don't know for sure what Adam Leon's goal was. Maybe he just wanted to make a cute little movie um, and I'm reading more into it. But that's what the beauty of art is that we can interpret it our own ways. I look at a Jackson Pollock painting and I see paint splatter. Other people see anger and frustration. So it's all about interpretation. So um, what are you thinking, Corey? I'm going to go with a decent watch. I think that's a perfectly acceptable rating. Um, I am going not quite golden, um, not quite golden pony boy to be full. Um, I would say though it's on the low spectrum of that one. Um, like it's it's on the border of decent watch because there was just enough for me. I found it charming, and charm does a lot for me. If I if I'm if I'm captivated by characters and I'm just waiting to see what else is going to happen, and I have to say, I never knew what this movie was doing, and it never did what we were expecting. And that that I think pushed it over for from from decent watch to not quite golden because, um, I'll tell you too because Kathy was going to watch it with me. That's my wife. Um, for listeners who I haven't, I don't always say the name. Um, she started watching it with me, but at some point got up and was on the computer. But the movie kept her interested enough that she would like stand up and like, cause the computer's in a position where it's next to the TV. So you can't really see it while you're on it, but she would like stand up and walk back a couple steps so she could see, cause she would hear <laughs> something or she'd look back at me like, wait, what is going on? And I'd have to like real quick, like, well, she's like, Oh, and so even, uh, just, she was so, I think initially she thought this was a predictable, you know, it's going to be a crime like romance or whatever. And it ends up being, um, you know, a, a little rom-com because, again, the crime is more or less just their, the way of them coming t- into each other's lives. And, uh, yeah, it just it, it worked for me. Uh, I, I do. I don't know if Kathy would give it as high a rating as I'm giving, but she did seem to be intrigued by it, even though she didn't give it 100 percent of her attention. She wasn't willing to completely walk away from it. Um, so it, it pulled her in enough. And that's what I think this film can do. It's it's. Not the funniest rom-com by any means. Like, I laughed a couple of times, but it was more of like a, like a little chuckle at, like, oh, wow, that was unexpected. Um, there was maybe two scenes that were actually, like, funny, funny. And then, um, but the romance, I thought, was, was nice, nuanced, very subtle, very grounded. That's something I actually really liked about the film in general, is it felt, felt believable. Like, I could, you know, kind of see something like this happening. Maybe not quite. It's still got a movie element to it, but... You know, as far as their love, it's it's slow. It's not this passionate, I'm, oh, let's get married after one day of hanging out. It's, hey, we're going to take a trip together because we, we don't have anything else going on in our lives. And we have some extra money because we just did this heist. Like, you know, and it, I like that. I like that a lot. So that leads us to the end of this episode, but the mention of our next episode. Um, we've been exploring the world of Charlie Kaufman. Um, he is a writer predominantly, but he has uh, directed... Just two films, if I'm not mistaken, um, and we're going to watch the first of those two, uh, Synecdoche, New York. Um, it, you're going to want to Google that if you don't <laughs> already know about it. It is not an easy word to spell, but Synecdoche, 
New York. Um, I did not think that was a real word until I heard about this movie, because <laughs> it is a real city, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this movie was recommended to me last year by our mutual friend, and who will be a guest on next week's episode of the podcast, uh, Brendan. And um, I watched this last year, and it's the only film that I rated in... Um, oh, boy. I forgot what word I used. Hold on. Inconclusive? Inconclusive. I did not know how I felt about it, because I was very intrigued, but very, very unsure what I just watched. And... <sighs> <laughs> I'm very nervous about that episode and watching the movie at all um, because I have a feeling I'm I am afraid I'm just not going to get it next week. You are done with class. I you... I'm about to be done with this. I have a big project I have to do as a final for one class and I just have a lab quiz for my other class and that one will be done. So when is yeah. that though? When is it all done? Um, I'll be done with my lab quiz today, probably, and then next week. I don't know. I plan to get that done as soon as oh, okay. possible, but I need some interaction from my classmates before I can got record. It. So you still got another week. My, my question, because I was going to say, you might want to give yourself time to watch this twice. Um, oh, Jesus. Just I mean, this is my second watch of this film, um, and I am, I am still like, okay, I have a better feel for this going in, because I've now seen a few more Charlie Coffin movies, because that was my first... I think that was my first coffin movie. I think I saw that before I watched Eternal Sunshine. Um, Holy heck. I'm pretty sure. I might be wrong. And, of course, there is. if you want to fact check me, go to BerkReviews.com. Look which one I did when. Um, but I watched both of those last year. And then now we've watched Being John Malkovich. Um, so you've seen two of his movies before watching Synecdoche. You kind of get a feel. Um, I call Charlie Kaufman a surrealist writer. He is the Salvador Dali of the film world to me because he writes things that are crazy but yet have some very deep meanings that can be taken from them. And I, I, the only movies I have not seen that it, are connected to Charlie Kaufman are Adaptation, which is one I really want to see because it's about him. Um, Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman trying to write a book, or I'm sorry, a, a script adaptation of a book that I forget the name of, but is supposedly impossible to adapt to film and him going crazy in the process with I think Meryl Streep is in the film as well. And um, so I really okay. want to see that one. And then um, I've been wanting to rewatch Synecdoche since last year because it does star Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I am a big fan of. And I did love his performance, even though the movie gets super surreal. Like, John Malkovich is very surreal, but it's very accessible. Uh, Eternal Sunshine is kind of the same thing. It's a very surreal movie, but it's also very... In fact, it's super accessible. I think Eternal Sunshine is probably the easiest of these films to to take in now there's a lot that can still be interpreted but it's very straightforward i think with its ideas synecdoche is not um it is definitely it's a thinker uh it, and i don't think it, i don't think he necessarily gives you all the information i think you have to take um the film and kind of interpret it for yourself and that's not an issue i i wouldn't quite go as far to say it's avant-garde um there's avant-garde elements in the film but i think it's more narrative uh overall but the narrative is is different, and um, I definitely don't think when I watched it the first time I gave it a hundred percent of my attention, um, which that's something I'm gonna do a lot harder this time. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it with headphones on, and um, in my man room where I'm usually somewhat isolated, uh, and I might even leave my phone in another room so I'm not tempted to look at it um, if I get distracted. Um, not because it's not engaging; it's super engaging. But because it does get a little overwhelming, I think I was looking up stuff while watching it. Like, like, wait, who's that actor? And like, <laughs> doing things to like take away the the uh, the thought. But um, if you've watched the other Charlie Kaufman movies with us, or if this is your first one going into it, please watch uh, Synecdoche, New York. And you can tweet at me or Corey. Um, I am at Burke Reviews and Corey at Corey R Star. Two R's on the end. And or you can email us. Our links. Um, to our emails will be on uh, our website for this post, also on our SoundCloud, and um, so will our Twitter handles for this this episode. Um, if you don't own Synecdoche, New York, we'd love for you to buy it through our Amazon affiliate program. There will be a link on our, our post, uh, so you can click on it. You can rent it digitally or buy a physical copy, have it shipped to you, and watch it um, beforehand. It is, again, if you're into... Uh, interesting visuals at the very least synecdoche is worth your time it is visually stunning there are some amazing things that happen in this movie um just visually alone and there's a lot of surreal elements where things within the scene will change and if you're not paying attention it's easy to not ever notice them but if you're a detail-oriented watcher there are tons of things happening within each frame um it, it is a masterpiece of a film 
yet. I still don't know how I feel about it. So I'm looking forward to watching it a second time. Hopefully this time, uh, either finding out that I really can't get behind it or that I love it. And I think that's going to be my options. I think it's either going to be a movie that I'm finally like, you know what? Maybe we just avoid this type of movie from now on. It just doesn't work for me. Or it's a must-see. I, I don't think it can fall much in the middle. It's it's too many great things. I, yeah. But that's okay. Definitely heard. Not everything is for, you know, um, avant-garde films, which, again, I'm not saying this is, but I definitely think it could. you could easily argue that it, it has more avant-garde elements than not. Um, isn't for everybody. That's why it's avant-garde. If it were for everybody, it'd just be mainstream media. But, you know, avant-garde looks to do something different, um, break the forms of the art, and do things in a unique way. And Charlie Kaufman definitely dabbles with that from time to time. But he's definitely narrative-structured in almost every other film, um, very clean and crisp. This one, I don't think was that way. And I don't know if that's because he directs this one or if this that maybe that's why he directed it. No one else could do it. No one else understood what he was trying to do in the script. And so he stepped up and directed it. Now, he did direct Anomalisa, which came out um, two years ago. And I think he's working on a new movie now. So he, maybe he'll also direct that one. So it could just be, too, he was paying his dues with the earlier stuff. And Synecdoche was the first one he was able to direct. But who knows? Um, it is an interesting film, to say the least. Um, and, of course, if you're listening to this as your first episode, thank you for uh, listening to Burke Reviews Movie Club. Uh, we do, uh, Corey and I take turns picking movies, kind of. Um, sometimes we just come to a consensus on the film. Well, I get a little short. Well, you short in here. You, you <laughs> definitely can pick more movies, um, but you did pick Under the Skin, and you made me watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I think I still owe you a few. Um, I did not make you do anything. You said it was good, but <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, we'll be back next week with our episode on Synecdoche, New York, with our guest Brendan, um, unless something comes up. But that is our current plan. And uh, we'll have a future episode um, as a result of our summer movie challenge where either myself, if I win, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to, Corey or Mike, um, whoever wins, is going to pick a movie that the other two have to watch. And we're going to do a movie club episode on that. And there is the, uh, the caveat that the movie that we pick uh, does not have to be watched by the winner. So we can pick anything and um, it can be torturous. Or it can be, I, I'm leaning towards picking a movie that I really want you guys to watch that you just haven't. Um, I don't know what that is just yet, but that's where I'm leaning. That's what you say, but I think you're Trixie. I have a few other options. Like, I had to sit through Rubber, um, and I kind of want to make you watch that, but I'm pretty sure Mike would watch that on his own accord. So, <laughs> I love Mike, but uh, he kind of kills me sometimes with his movies. So I yeah, like a lot of them. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I am, I'm eyeballing some movies, and I was like, hmm... That one might be fun. Lady in the Water again? But, you know, I don't know. Or The Last Airbender. Have you ever seen The Last Airbender? Yeah, we talked about it. Okay. I was It was okay. okay to me because I hadn't watched the cartoon. Really? It's, you, or the show. I think if you rewatch it, you'll hate it. Um, it's, it's a yeah, really bad Yeah, I just saw it in movie. theater. I know. I saw it in theater, too. I'm saying I think if I made you rewatch it, you would you would realize how bad it was. Because I think sometimes when you're at the theater, you just, you're a little more accepting because like, you paid money. Ooh. Yeah, well, you're like, I paid money for this. <laughs> I have to like this, right? That's the kind of the idea. Um. <laughs> It, it's it's it gets worse. Um, I rewatched oh, it. God. I think like two years ago, and was like, "Wow, was it this bad when I watched it the first time?" Like, because I didn't I didn't hate it like everybody else. Um, until the second time, I was like, "Oh, oh, I must have been really like in a like giving mood that day. I must have been like, oh no, it's got to be fine. It's got to be fine. No, send my Shyamalan. He does he does stuff well, but um, you know, he doesn't unfortunately. But his new movie's good. I can't wait for Glass." All right, that's enough. We need to get off of here. We'll be back next week with our Synecdoche, New York episode, episode 19. Um, thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Corey, have a good evening. Thanks. Bye, guys. Peace out. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>